There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Radio, it's your boy 3K. Lovely Thursday night out here in the DC area. I hope you and yours are doing as well with as much goodness in their life as what I got going on. As much goodness as the Rams might have going on. Interesting week, man. Interesting week. We have the schedule release. We've got stadium news. Every everywhere you look, there's a stadium. There's stadiums in St. Louis. There's stadiums in Inglewood. There's stadiums in Carson. I heard there might be stadiums in Scranton. Look at how Scranton, Scranton on the map. Good stuff. No, it's been a heck of a weekend, as always. Thank you guys for reading everything we got on Tertial Times. More to come. Uh, I was talking to the staff earlier tonight. They got some good plans. We got some fun stuff coming up. A lot of it on the stadium, and I guess you got to start with the recent stuff before we break down uh, into the stadium, into the schedule, and into the draft. Obviously helping us out tonight. Great guests. Great guests coming up. First up, we got Bernie Nicholas. You guys know Bern. 101 ESPN, of course, follow him on Twitter, at Nicholas, M-I-K-L-A-S-Z, and, of course, a, a master scribe over at the Post-Dispatch. You can find all this stuff at stltoday.com. You guys already know that. Everybody knows Bernie. Come on, man. He's major. And we're glad to have him. Uh, Bernie's going to be followed by Tim Shields, uh, former Rams Herd author now with Tercio Times. He's the defensive line coach at Washington University in St. Louis. I think I'm saying that right. Um, if not, he'll help us out. Uh, Tim's going to come on, talk some random stuff, X's and O's, draft, Rams, everything that fits in the bucket. We're going to cram it in. We're going to make it happen. Um, but, yeah, we've got to start with the stadium stuff. You know, you had to, on one hand, you've got this great video that was part of the presentation. We dropped it on the site. If you haven't seen it, go ahead, com. Check it out. Cool video, great renderings. Does it change much? No. It doesn't. I mean, if you if that changed something for you, then that's kind of offensive to HOK. They've been building stadiums for a while. They're kind of good at this. They've done this before. Uh, it looks great, but I didn't expect anything anything less from them. Uh, I think the big difference is what we heard about the presentation this week and the fact that the NFL pretty much mandated attendance. They were like the principal forcing Stan Kroenke, Kevin Demoff to come to class. Uh, I thought that was interesting. We're going to have to see what that really turns into. Obviously, not a lot public out of it. And the, the truth is, you don't want a lot public. Uh, you want them to feel comfortable that the meeting can be productive and that it can do more than just show off a PowerPoint presentation and a YouTube video. You need people coming to the table, ready to negotiate, and ready to put their best foot forward and see what's going to happen with the stadium in St. Louis because it looks like it's going to be a hell of a project. Um, 
and as I've always said, it really comes down to whether or not the NFL feels that this is a substantial effort that you know necessarily uh, should prevent the Rams from leaving. I think it's tough. We've heard some different quotes from Eric Grubman uh, in weeks past. It's Eric Grubman, he's vice president with the league, uh, talking about what constitutes a good faith effort. Um, on one hand, the comments that he made that were a bit milquetoast were referring to the San Diego uh, situation. Um, and what you see this week with Carson, uh, if you guys haven't seen, go ahead and take a look. Uh, really impressive stuff over there, and that's not from HOK Architects. It's from a different firm. Really impressive uh, stadium package that they're putting together in Carson. Uh, so who knows? We're going to have to see. But I think in the end, it seems to me that Stan Kroenke feels comfortable moving the team. And I guess what it really comes down to is what is going to be uh, the real motivating factor to prevent him from doing it. A shiny stadium isn't going to be it because he's going to build his own in Los Angeles. I think the only two things that could have a real factor here is, A, if the league starts really ramping up pressure on Stan Kroenke and the Rams to stay put uh, at serious cost. They're going to have to make it a serious cost for him to reconsider. Or, B, if somehow the stadium effort allows him to maintain some ownership of the property without having to fund a significant bill of it. Because, again, that's what he's going to be getting in Los Angeles anyway. It's going to be interesting. We're going to have to see. Um, but that will be something we're talking to Bernie about. Uh, obviously, you got the schedule uh, came out. We already knew the preseason schedule. That came out a couple weeks ago. But regular season schedule starting the season with Seattle coming to St. Louis, that's – a hell of a week one game. You could, and I would say this. I think that's the kind of thing we should want. We should want pressure uh, to start a season, and we should want one that, that carries significant demands. There's no reason that we should demand anything less than a playoff run from Jeff Fisher in year four when he's had the capability to run the team as he sees fit, to put together the depth chart the way that he wants, and, and to be able to manage the entire process. Uh, you know, the reality is he doesn't have a GM that's bearing down on him uh, similar to what you have in other cities with other teams. This is Jeff Fisher's franchise to manage as he sees fit. Uh, and as fans, we should be demanding a product. And, and the fact that we haven't gotten it, the fact that if anything in the win-loss column, things are trending in the wrong direction, I, I think that's where you start to have to make larger demands. Uh, and I think you felt that. I think, you know, Brian Schottenheimer's departure, uh, Sam Bradford's departure, those are signals not just of a coach who's, you know, trying to change things, but a coach who recognizes that what he had done in the past just wasn't working. And it's more than change. It, it, it's the kind of effect that that pressure has. And I think that's a good thing because uh, what we've gotten from the first three years just wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to get a winning record. wasn't enough to get the Rams in the playoffs. And we're going to have to see. I guess one of the big things that uh, Nathan Kearns talked about in that uh, link to a previous article from Ryan uh, back in 2013 is that Fisher's teams historically have not gotten off to a good start. And I think that's why when you start off one and four, when you start off two and three, and you end up going, you know, seven wins, eight wins, six wins, yeah, part of that is because you've already put yourself so far behind the, the ball, the curve, that you're fighting and clawing to get back. Now, he's done a hell of a job coaching a team to get there, but we should be asking for more. We should be asking more out of the start. And I think that's the real key is you've you got a five-game stretch, three of them on the road, the first one against Seattle, the other home games against Pittsburgh. So it's doing no favors to the Rams. But they, they shouldn't need favors at this point. you got Seattle-Pittsburgh at home, that week two game at Washington. Obviously, the Rams have had some strong success uh, with the Skins in years past. And then you follow that up with the Arizona-Green Bay back-to-back in week four and five. I think those are going to be huge. 
if, if you go 0-2 in those two games going into the bye week, uh, that's going to make it tough because I don't think anybody expects the Rams to start off 3-0. So that means you've got at least three losses and at most two wins. If it's any worse than that, then you're talking about the same issue of a slow start for Jeff Fisher and the Rams. But after that, it gets a little bit more favorable. You've got a three out of four uh, stretch thereafter from week seven to ten. Three games at home, Cleveland and San Francisco. Chicago jumping ahead in week ten. Uh, the only away game is week nine where they travel to Minnesota, maybe with a chance to get some revenge for last year. Their week one opener loss. We'll have to see. I mean, uh, I think that's where you really get the season moving. The, the intent, though, is not to have to try to reclaim a 500 or a winning record. It should be to have one going into that bye week. And if that's the case, then week seven through ten, you can really pad it up. Then you've got, to me, it's the six-game stretch. You could look at it as a two, three-game stretch. It's Chicago at home, then on the road Baltimore, on the road Cincinnati. That's going to be a tough one. Um, but then you've got three games in a row at home, Arizona, Detroit, Tampa. And you've got to put yourself in good position. The only reason why is because your finish to the season is going to be absolutely brutal. Seattle on the road week 16, San Francisco in Levi's week 17, January 3rd, 2016. That's how you're going to finish your season, and on the road against Seattle, on the road against San Francisco. You don't want to be in a position where you've got to win two games. If you only have to win one to get in the playoffs, that's doable. Obviously, the optimal situation is that you're sitting pretty, and those two games really affect seeding. You can go in there and lose those two, still be sitting tight because you've won enough out of the previous 14 games. That just hasn't been the case enough for the Rams. We're going to have to see. Um, I guess the the other point that you're looking at with the schedule is uh, non-division versus divisional games. You've got two of them before the bye. That's Seattle week one, Arizona week four. You've got your San Francisco games week 8 and 17, the second Arizona games 13, and obviously the second Seattle games that next to last game, penultimate. Penultimacy in the NFC West. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you're having to claw wins out of the division. That's what happened two years ago. Uh, And, again, a seven-win season is not going to get you in the playoffs. Well, let's revise that. A seven-win season rarely gets you in the playoffs. For the Rams, if if that's what you're asking for, you're asking too much. You've got to get on the winning side of the record. And that's not going to happen if you're dropping four or five games against NFC West opponents. At the same time, you can't clean up against your division and leave too many losses on the board from your out-of-conference. I honestly think this schedule really helps the Rams from the out-of-conference stuff. And largely it's because they they finish fourth. They get Washington, they get Tampa Bay. Uh, I think things would look a little bit different if, you know, they hadn't finished fourth. Uh, but as it is, this is a schedule that I think you can get to a winning record. Now, I had them finishing 8-7-1, and one, but that's me. That, that's me based on the last couple of years of what we've seen from the Rams. I think moving forward, we've got an opportunity to see something new. Uh, it, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's impossible. It just means you have to go off of a little bit of faith and optimism. But that's what sports is. That's what football is. You wait, and, and you see if it's going to happen, and if it doesn't, you look for the historical precedent that proves that's what was going to happen all along. Otherwise, you know, it, it, it's a new season. Uh, it's a new team with a new quarterback, and I think there's reason to think uh, that there is a possibility of change. Uh, but if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen in ways that we haven't seen before. And I think that's the real uh, angle for pessimism and concern, I guess, is that you're asking for something to happen that hasn't happened. Speaking of things that have never happened before that are about to happen, we're about to welcome Bernie Nicholas to the show superstar of the Lou. Obviously, again, you guys can follow him at Nicholas on Twitter. That's at M-I-K-L-A-S-Z. St. Louis Post-Dispatch. What's the right term? He's not a writer. He's not a reporter. He's not an opiner. He's more than that. 
He's an emeritus. He's a something emeritus, and I'm I'm proud to welcome an emeritus of such status to Tertiary Radio. Bernie, how's it going on? I'm just an old columnist, man. I'm just old, breaking down. I just keep writing. That's all, man. Bernie Emeritus, Nicholas Emeritus. No, I appreciate you coming <laughs> on, man. We're going to have some fun. Uh, Bernie, first off, I, I went off with the big news of the, the last two days, really, is the stadium stuff. What, what do you think is going on with the most recent meeting, the presentation that they had up in New York? Obviously, the reveal of the video. When you've got bells and whistles like that, everybody's going to perk up. But what is your assessment of where things stand in the overall situation with Los Angeles and the stadium, and what do you think are the big next steps? You know, as someone who made a mistake and miscalculated this whole situation early, I mean, I was I was the idiot that insisted, you know, at the beginning of this, look, they're not going anywhere because people in the NFL were saying, hey, there's no rush to L.A. St. Louis doesn't deserve to lose their team. Don't worry about it. The team's not going anywhere. And I, and I kind of projected that very strongly publicly. So I've become very pragmatic about this. I mean, I kind of have my guard up. I'm, I, I'm, like, really reluctant to make any kind of declarations because I got burned and, you know, I got to learn from my own miscalculations. So I just wanted to say that to begin with. But I have a good feeling about this. Uh, I'm not predicting success because until they get the financing stadium completely secure, it's still very much, you know, up in the air. But Peacock and Blitz have made great progress. And the people on that committee, the the committee that received them yesterday, are really impressed. And I I think they're very much in St. Louis's corner in terms of encouraging them to get to the finish line with this. And I talked to Dave Peacock a lot, and, and, you know, he's very confident that the NFL will take care of the city, you know, one way or the other. And I, I, the presentation went very, very well. Now, granted, what do you expect them to say? Of course they're going to say it went well. They're going to come out of there and say, ah, boy, it's bad. No. You know, so, I mean, again, I, I've, I've got my guard up. But, you know, some details, little details I heard were kind of encouraging. The fact that a couple of the committee members, you know, circled back to Peacock later and were very complimentary and said that was – that was terrific. You guys knocked it out of the park. And they, they just continue to, to encourage them to get this thing to the finish line. And, you know, I, I there's nothing there's nothing about Dave Peacock that's phony or um uh or or him being a huckster, you know, there, there there's nothing inauthentic about this guy. He's a player, he's he's got a huge track record. And he's taken very seriously by NFL people. And the, the guys on that committee in particular, I think, are sympathetic to his cause, really respect the effort that he's made. I guess it, one of my major questions, and I understand it, it, part of it was timeline. Like you said, nobody expected it. So there's no real reason to have expected the timeline to have played out any differently. Is it, Looking back in hindsight, do you think maybe one of the miscalculations was that it took this long for St. Louis to come up with a plan that was this uh, professional and this well, you know, handled? The fact that they got somebody from the corporate world, obviously his history with Anheuser-Busch suggests that he's capable of managing big projects on a, you know, multi-million, multi-billion dollar scale. Was part of the issue that they waited so long uh, and gave Cronky the time to to kind of set the bar where he wanted, as opposed to maybe coming up with a solution like this before. Well, I mean that's a great question. I, I I would contest that they waited too long. However, however, they did leave him an opening. No matter how long it took, and we can quibble whether you know they had enough time to put something together sooner, or whether this is their timing was fine. We can 
quibble. The, the bottom line is is that they left a big hole for him to run through, and you know right. he he was very aggressive about hitting the hole. I mean, I, I the only re- reason I sort of stick up for St. Louis is because it's you know the city's broke, the state doesn't have money, they uh, they're still paying off the stadium that they have that they built less than twenty five years ago, and you know this arbitration you know stuff is is basically you know two plus years in the past. It's not. You know, it's not like San Diego that's been waiting 14, 15 years or Oakland that hasn't had a, you know, new new stadium there since, you know, the, Ra- the Raiders moved in the Alameda Coliseum, you know, decades ago. It's, I, I uh, as someone who is obviously loyal to St. Louis, you know, I, I get tired a little bit, not you guys, I'm just saying generally of, of you know, this notion that, you know, somehow St. Louis was dragging its feet. My goodness, I mean, this city... This state is basically on the brink of, of building and funding a, a second new stadium inside a 25-year window. I mean, who the heck has done that? So, But they did leave an opening. There's no question about it, and that's all he needed. Do you think maybe that's part of the argument then to, to convince the NFL and the other owners that, you know, when you talk about a good faith effort that a city needs to make and when you look at what's going on in San Diego, when you look at how long it took Minnesota to get their arms around the situation, does the fact, just the sheer fact uh, that they've, they're essentially looking at building a second stadium within a three-decade period and the fact that the stadium is so uh, – it's not just advanced. It's the fact that you built a stadium in the Edward Jones Dome that's already outdated. How how quickly is a new stadium going to get outdated as technology and fan services and the fact that games are, you know, so expensive for the bottom dollar? And everybody's, ta- you know, this is becoming more and more of an issue as we look at sports in general, the idea that you can sit at home and, you know, turn on the Red Zone channel or buy a uh, Sunday ticket package and watch your team regardless of where you're at. And you don't need to go out and spend 100 plus, 200 plus dollars to park, to get beer, to get a ticket, to get concessions, all that other stuff, uh, is the fact that St. Louis is willing to do this by all accounts and measures and committed to making it happen, do you think maybe that's sufficient enough of an argument to say, look, I get it that the Rams want to move, but we deserve something from the NFL for that significant of an effort? See, I believe that that does hold water, and simply because, you know, even if, okay, let's just say I agreed with the premise that, they let too much time lapse before they got this thing, this project started. You know, Dave Peacock is, had actually started on a behind-the-scenes, you know, before it was known publicly. And, I mean, I knew it, and I used to drop hints, hey, there's there's stuff going on in the background that you don't know about. There's there's an effort being made. People sort of, sort of starting to rally the, the VIPs to get behind this. And that was Dave Peacock doing all that work. But let me just say this. The speed in which he has – you know, let, let's use some hackneyed football uh, cliches. You know, the speed in which he's, you know, moved the ball from, let's say, you know, his own 10-yard line to where he's now down into the red zone uh, is is pretty remarkable in a state and a city where it is very difficult to get things done. And where sure. the franchise popularity because of the owner, you know, it's not exactly – the Rams, because of Kroenke and the way he's alienated his fan base, I mean, it's not exactly like there's a lot of people just saying, oh, yeah, let's take care of Stan. I mean, they've had to overcome so much. And this guy has moved the ball down the field quickly. And if there had been any delay or any real big major setbacks, if Peacock had, had stumbled at all, 
given the NFL and all the committees and Eric Grubman, like any reason to believe, look, this is, I know they're trying, but this is kind of a lark. This isn't going to happen. I mean, if there had been any kind of mistakes made or just, just some kind of loss of momentum, I don't think the NFL would look at this thing the way it is, but they've been, they're very impressed by the speed in which Dave Peacock has, has moved this thing down the tracks. I'll give you my, I'll give you my curveball, Bernie. I'll give you a random curveball. Dave Peacock, owner of the St. Louis Rams 2016. I'm not saying that I said it first. I'm just <laughs> saying I didn't say it last. Well, moving I, on to more I, impressive things. Go ahead, guys. I, I would I would welcome him. He, look, he's a brilliant guy, and uh, he's also got a terrific personality. I mean, he knows how to relate to people and deal with people. Everybody likes him. And when you're trained by Anheuser-Busch, I mean, you, you sort of PR savvy, and he's got that, yet sure. he's, a, he's a genuine guy. Look, he's got a lot of money. I don't know that he's got the jack to pull that off, but I could see him if if that team's ever sold or there's a chance to bring another team here and eventually buy that. I I certainly could see him as part of the group. I I happen to think Dave Peacock's going to eventually, you know, be the governor of the state or something. I you know, I I think he wants to do good. He's sort of a do-gooder and I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if he gets into politics at some point soon. Wouldn't be surprised myself. Uh, guys, you guys know who it is. It's Bernie Miklas at M-I-K-L-A-S-Z here on Tertial Radio. We're going to take some calls in a bit. After Miklas, we'll be talking to Tim Shields, the number, uh, the call in tonight, uh, 347-857-1022. Bernie, the other big news of the week, obviously, was St. Louis Rams schedule, the rest of the NFL as well. Uh, pretty interesting schedule. You know, the Rams have never been dealt a good hand in, the, in recent years when it comes to the schedule. You get a little bit of that this year. Obviously, there's always going to be gripes. Nobody's got a perfect schedule to set them up 16-0. But, you know, three out of the first five on the road, an early bye week, finishing on the road in Seattle and San Francisco. What, what were some of the big takeaways you had from the Rams schedule for 2015? Yeah, Joe, I'm with you. I don't like the early bye week. and It doesn't do them any good. Um, and, and fin- you know, finishing the season two on the road like that against tough opponents, it's not like one of the games is in Tampa or something, you know. And right. That's tough. But that, now that said, I mean, there's sort of a I – wa- I don't know if I would call it a soft middle, but it's a it's an opportunistic middle of the schedule where they can get a lot done. If they can get out of the gate, you know, just somehow find a way to win two of the first five, I mean, I, two and three sets them up to go on a nice run. And um, – they also don't have like a unless I read this thing wrong and and seriously you can embarrass me by correcting me <laughs> I won't be offended I don't have it in front Never. of me because I'm looking at it but but the uh, you know they don't have a real harsh harsh stretch where they play three road games in a row I I don't think they have more than two game two road games in a row there's there's right. been some years where it's like three years in a row where they they have to play four out of five on the road. So they don't have this big kind of long stretch that's a minefield. You know, once they can sort of get through that first five-game phase, you know, they have a chance to do some damage if if they're good enough to take advantage of it. But then they're going to have to finish strong. But that's just it, man. It's not an easy league. and The NFC West means you're automatically going to have a bunch of tough games and you know, having to take on AFC South and AFC and NFC North uh, teams, you know, isn't easy. Those those divisions are pretty strong. And so I uh, – or did I say AFC South, AFC North? Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really do think that 
I, I've been guilty in the past of kind of overanalyzing schedules. And, and look, it's the natural thing to do. I still do it. But gosh, the, this league, the the balance of power and 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 the way teams go up and down, and teams you expect to be good aren't as good, and vice versa. It's just so hard to forecast what things are going to be looking like around the league in November. I just think it comes down to talent. I think it comes down to what kind of offense they can put together. I, if I, if you don't mind me sounding like Peter King and name dropping, uh, I. Uh, I, I uh, in March I had a chance to hang out in, in Cardinal Spring training with Ron Wolf, who who's a, a guy that clearly is a legend in this league and as a, as a member of the Hall of Fame committee. You know I was proud to vote for him and uh, have gotten to know him a little bit, and he still keeps keeps up with everything in, in the NFL. I mean it's not that he wants a job, but I mean he it's just the football guy in him. He he still follows everything as far as teams rosters and everything. And he told me he said look. They are loaded defensively. They got everybody back. It's going to be Greg Williams' second year. Um, he, he, you know, he he loved the Fairley signing to, at defensive tackle. He he thinks they've got the best defensive line in the league. Uh, he thinks if they get another linebacker, you know, maybe in the middle. I, I don't I don't think he feels like James Laurinaitis is like an elite player. He's a he's a decent player. But, I mean, he loves their defense, and the point he made to me, he says, look, if they can do anything at all offensively, they're, they're, they could be a hell of a team this year. But he said, we just don't know. No, he said, I don't know if they can put it together on offense. I don't know that they can put the kind of attack together that can actually maximize what they're going to get from that defense. And, you know, really, haven't we been, we've been having this same conversation or a similar one for, you know, a couple years now, but that that's still the eternal question that's sitting out there. It seems like it, and it seems, you know, uncomfortable to try to distill it down to something that's simple, but at the same time, it's not so uncomfortable that I wouldn't agree with him. I think the the question is, where do you get the change from? And there's only real two two real opportunities. It's not going to happen for the most part in free agency, Uh, but I guess the the fact that the Rams were able to get maybe not a franchise quarterback, but they got a new course-changing quarterback in Nick Foles, and they've got the draft coming up. Who do you? Where do you think things change on the offense this year? Is it going to be more strictly from the quarterback position and the fact that they've got somebody that you expect to be there week one and you expect to be able to carry them through the season, doesn't have the injury history of Sam Bradford and certainly doesn't have a history with this team? Or is it going to be you know all the complementary pieces? Every time we bring up Sam Bradford, it's always you know a triangle of arguments. Sam Bradford not playing well, the rest of the offense not playing well, and coaching. Well, Brian Schottenheimer, that excuse is gone. Sam Bradford's gone. Is this now a point where the rest of the Rams' offense needs to pick up? Guys like Trey Mason, guys like Gray Robinson, Kenny Britt, Brian Quick coming back, all the complimentary weapons they're going to add to the draft. How, how do you feel this offense gets made if they're going to be successful in 2015? Uh, man, it's such a it's such a headache of a question, but a, but a good question. Right. It's, you know, I, look, it, it's not as if anyone expects expects Frank Signetti to be, you know, Mike Martz too, or you know, or sure. you know, I, I'm not sure what they have in him. I, I know that in the building, there's a lot of respect for him, and the feeling is is that, you know, he sat there with Schottenheimer, and he was a good soldier, but he didn't like the way certain things were done on offense, and he's got he, he's got some ideas that can invigorate the offense now. Anybody can make a sales pitch, so you have to prove that you can actually do that. So I'm waiting to see whether 
I, I think Frank. I, I mean, I think Frank's a really good coach, but again, is, is that going to really translate into major changes in philosophy? You know, I'm I'm a cynic in that regard because you, you know I've I've written ad nauseum that this is still the Jeff Fisher offense, and until I see evidence that indicates it's not the Jeff Fisher offense in terms of what he wants done, that I I don't know that an offensive coordinator is going to make a huge difference. You look at his entire history of offensive coordinators and, you know, none of these guys have been like, wow, guys, they just haven't. And I think it's because Jeff Fisher likes the game played a certain way. So one hope is that Frank Signetti have a chance to, to, to implement some new wrinkles or just put his own mark on this thing. You know, the other thing you hope for is that some of their young ascending players actually start to, you know, get to the point where they're really, really good. They also figure out what to do with Tavon Austin. Um, you know, can Brian Quick make a comeback? I mean, what? How, how can you take the talent you have and make it less predictable and more creative? I mean, it's a big, it's a big stretch for me. It's a big stretch for my imagination to see that happening. But I don't. I don't – I'm just not going to – like, in other words, I, I'm not going to dismiss the possibility of it happening because of Signetti. I'm not going to – I don't think it's fair to him. I want to wait to see what he can do. But uh, let's face it. I mean, the elephant in the room all off season has been this offensive line. And, I, man, I, I'm i just stunned by the, the lack of urgency. And I, I, I assume that there is a plan. I mean, I assume that Jeff Fisher is waiting on some people – or he's planning to draft some people, or he's anticipating that there'll be some June cuts and he'll be able to, you know, grab a couple of veterans. But my gosh, if if uh, if they can't put a good offensive line together on short notice, and that's what it's going to be, it's going to be on short notice. Then how yeah. does uh, how do all the things that we hope will happen? How does any of that stuff happen? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't have any answers, and I think the reality is none of us do. It's concerning. I think, you know, the fact that we've only got two uh, starting caliber uh, offensive linemen right now, and Roger Saffold and Greg Robinson, and there are arguments to be made over the quality of those two, certainly what we saw from Greg Robinson's rookie year. I I don't know how they're going to do it. I guess if there's one thing that we've got, and it's kind of sad that this is, and Bernie, I'll let you go after this, the one thing that we've got for the offensive line and for the offense in general for the Rams going into 2015 is faith. And it, it's sad that that's what we've got, but Bernie, I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you on a journey through the potential of offense. In a world where the Rams complete 40-yard passes down the field. Where offensive lines block holes that you could drive a truck through. Where a riverfront isn't just a front for a stadium, but a front for an offense you have to call your own. Bernie, I ask you, are you willing to believe with us? <laughs> you, you are too, but I want to. I really do. I don't know. I, I can't. I, I like I said, man. My my imagination is limited. I, I I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can stretch mine. I, I don't know if I can extend it that far. I I want to, man. I there's there's so many things about this team to like, but and you know what? And, and I really I, I'm not entirely sure what to expect from Nick Foles because you, you know you talk about the disparity between 2013 2014, but but I do think that the, just just a freshness at that position, you know, something new, I, I think is good for everybody, and I think it's good for the fans, too. I think we all, even the people who supported Sam Bradford, and, and, and I did for the most part, I was kind of a Bradford apologist 
maybe some would say I'm really a Bradford apologist, but, you know, even I was suffering from Bradford fatigue. I think no matter what side of that argument you were on, I think we were all, you know, all just being overtaken with Bradford fatigue. So I love the freshness at that position. And I hope Nick Foles, he seems like a great dude. And I hope that he, uh, he, you know, he can play to that level that can really make a difference. And I'm not trying to put it all on him, but I mean that—that's the key to the whole thing. And and I, so I'm if if he if he comes up big, I am willing to believe because I think that that can make a huge difference and turn a mediocre offense at least into an above-average offense. And I think with this defensive personnel and the, and the good special teams they have, I mean I think an above-average offense that's got some pop you know, could 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 actually make this a playoff team. And I, I do think it starts with the quarterback. Uh, and the no, offensive line. But you know what I mean, other than the offensive sure. line. I mean, that's the right. X factor that they've got to settle, you know. So, hey, you, you're going to let me go now. Hey, before I go, can I just say something? Absolutely. And this is not – you guys know I've been consistent about this, so I'm not just saying this because I'm on TSR here – Turk Show Times is outstanding. You guys do a wonderful job. I uh, I wake up in the morning, have my coffee. You know, one of the first stops on my day is is Turk Show Times. Compliments to you. Compliments to everybody who writes. It's just really good stuff. And uh, just keep up the good work. I mean, I really, I, I you know, I, I've been a fan. You know that. But I just wanted to tell you that since I'm, you were kind enough to have me on. Bernie, I appreciate it. I don't have to say that you're a consummate pro. What I've what I've always said was, I think the intelligence and the foresight that you had to accept what was changing the entire industry uh, in which you work is a compliment more than I can give you. The fact that you were open to blogs and new media and the way that things were changing without saying, you know, this isn't the way things are done or you know, to try to rebel against the forces of time as if they weren't already happening suggests that you understand much more than so many of your peers did. And I just appreciate you having you on, man. I, I, I'm I'm sad that it took this long to get you here. Uh, the Anytime, fact that we're man. going into a, a pivotal season for the Rams, I hope we can have you back again once we get closer to the season and into some real football action so we've got stuff on the field to talk to about. But I appreciate you coming on, on man. That means a lot. No, man, anytime. I, I was a pleasure to do it, and thanks for having me on. And like I said, keep up the good work and, and keep all that good content coming, man. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Brian. Well, that was just awesome. Bernie Nicholas, man. It's not just luck. That's just that's just good stuff coming together at, at a good time. That's at Nicholas, M-I-K-L-A-S-Z. Obviously, everybody knows him. And stltoday.com, St. Louis Post-Dispatch. We all know Bernie. Love him. Great stuff, man. That was, that was really cool to hear. Um, but I guess the music didn't do it. I was hoping that music through the fly-through was going to inspire him to say, yes, yes, this offense will reach new heights unknown. Uh, not happening. Let's bring on Tim, man. Tim Shields, he is a contributor at Church Show Times. He is the defensive line coach at Washington University in St. Louis. Tim Shields, Esquire, an attorney at the law, and all around a generally pretty good guy. Tim, what's going on? You're on Tertiary Radio. Man. Joe, thanks for having me. I'm glad Tim, I this is the point up. where you follow up Bernie Nicholas's compliment. How <laughs> yeah. that? How awesome is Tertiary Times? Uh, it's fantastic. I've been a fan for a long time, like Bernie. <laughs> you know, I think it's I think it's, it's tremendous that 
I think it's tremendous that you're having me on the, to follow probably, arguably, the best guest in Tour Show Times history, and I'm pretty excited probably. about it. <laughs> probably. I, I thought the music was going to do it. I thought that's all it took was some music, and maybe it's a lack of visuals. Maybe I need to have a video with Nick Foles throwing a, a 40-yard pass down the field to Amari Cooper, hitting Tavon Austin on a short slant as he breaks through you know, with incredible speed. I don't know. Maybe I'll just call Dave Peacock and we'll put it together. What's going on, man? Yeah. We're, we're, we're a week away from the draft. I didn't really get into the draft with Bernie. Um, where, where do you think things sit with the Rams? What is the biggest issue? Obviously, offensive line sits at the top. Are they going to be able to get enough through the draft? And, and, and it seems like they may be forced to push up somebody like a Barrett Jones or a Mike Person, somebody who's on the roster, somebody who's familiar to fans by name, but hasn't really gotten the playing time only because you're not going to go out and get three starters, you know, from now until the beginning of the season, unless you're just going to rely on a third, fourth, fifth, sixth round guy on the offensive line. Is that the biggest issue going into the draft you think is the offensive line or is there something I'm missing? Well, I, I don't think there's any question. I think, <laughs> I think the scary thing for fans is to think about how bad this line was last year and to watch, the Rams create as much uh, cap space as they did and then really have nothing to show for it a week away from the draft. Um, I'm not as panicked as some because I do think that, you know, like Bernie attested to a little bit, uh, you know, I think there is a plan. There are some serviceable free agents out there. They're not going to be Pro Bowl type players, but guys that are have been connected to the Rams all along, and Justin Boylock uh, and, and Joe Barstow are still out there. Um, so I think entering the draft, yeah, they're they're obviously going to have to add somebody early. Uh, whether they pigeonhole themselves into that that first round pick being an offensive lineman, I'm not convinced they have. I think it's it's quite possible that 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 pick goes somewhere else. But you know that means one of those guys, in my opinion, are are going to be uh, signed very quickly after the draft, if not after that first night, um, right, a week from now. You know, but uh, yeah, you know, I, here, here's the thing. I, I think. You know, the question is for me is who's going to play right tackle? Uh, I I think there's enough guards, and we can kind of dive into this as we get into specifics, but I think there's enough guards out there right now uh, in this draft and in free agency still that uh, you're going to find a a starter, a a decent starter at at, at a left guard position. Uh, I think the question is really who is going to play right tackle? Is it going to be Joe Barksdale? Is it going to be – you know somebody in this draft, uh, and where if you if it is going to be someone in this draft, where are you going to get them at? You know that's the, really the question it comes down to. Yeah, I wonder if the fact the Rams haven't at least publicly been more committed to Joe Barksdale in that whole process is that they really like the the draft class at right tackle. Remember one of the things they said about the Mark Barron trade midseason was the fact that they looked at the draft coming up and felt like they could bleed out some picks to add a guy that they felt that they wanted a part of that defense moving forward, perhaps what they looked at and said is, you know, most of these positions we don't really like, but maybe one of the positions they do like is right tackle. What, why do you think there hasn't been a lot of momentum on Joe Barksdale? Obviously it'd be easier. You know, the easy way out would be to go after Joe Barksdale, make him an offer that, I mean, not to borrow the parlance from the Corleones, 
to make him an offer that he just can't refuse because at that point all you need is a guard and a center. And like you said, there's enough options in the guard market and you can always overdraft a center. Do, do you think part of the issue is that they really like the right tackles in the draft or is it just maybe about Joe Barksdale and that he hasn't been good enough to warrant a long-term contract on, on the terms that maybe he's seeking in the market? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. I, I mean, if you look at this roster, and I could be wrong about this, but uh, outside of the guys they cut, uh, Jake Long, uh, Scott Wells, and Langford, and Trady Bradford, outside of the guys they cut, uh, I think Sean Hill, if not if I'm wrong, correct me, but I think Sean Hill is the only guy that they didn't re-sign. Is that not right? So they, they've brought back Kenny Britt. They've brought back Lance Kendricks. They've brought back Tim Barnes, uh, Austin Davis, Riding Cloud. They brought all these guys back, and yet they still have a whole right tackle, and they've had ample time and ample money to bring back Joe Barksdale. So to me, kind of maybe it's a, a too simple of a way to look at it, but if Joe Barksdale was, uh, you know, and I make this comment often, if Joe Barksdale was as good as, you know, his PFF grades were, uh, he would have been signed a long time ago. Uh, but sure. I think there's a, I think there's, they're, they're looking at an opportunity uh, potentially to upgrade. Uh, at that position. Now, the the issue is obviously if if they're sitting at ten and a guy like Amari Cooper is there at ten or like Kevin White, is that a better play to go that route and then re-sign Joe Barstow? And and that that's quite possibly what happens. But I think uh, the mindset and the, at least my takeaway from all the events that have happened so far this offseason is that they have to feel that yeah Joe's good and he's been serviceable, but he's not. He's not great, and, and and potentially we can upgrade in this draft uh, if we elect to go that route. Yeah, I think the the real juxtaposition here is if you look back at Roger Saffold, right? Uh, Roger Saffold goes off to open, and, and the Rams get a second chance, and they immediately snap him up. Barksdale Absolutely. comes out of his honeymoon and, you know, flirts with a couple visits, and there's some talk about potential suitors. And it's not as if the Rams went out and said, look, we want you back in St. Louis. You know, you know us. We know you. We want to make you happy. What is it going to take to do that? They've kind of let him, you know, forage through the wilderness. And when you do that long enough, eventually somebody's going to snap him up. But it also suggests that they don't mind that happening. It's just a bit weird, you know, that, that like you said, that there's a sentiment out there, and some of it's quantitative, some of it's just emotional, of people that, that say, look, Joe Barksdale is quality. And you've had – I've seen multiple pundits talk about Joe Barksdale as – you know, the best right tackle in free agency before the free agency period even started. And so for the Rams not to be all that committed to him and for the lack of a real signing, I think that was one of the more interesting parts of, of the offseason as far as the fact that he hasn't gotten on board with anybody, let alone the St. Louis Rams. Uh, Tim, moving forward, we, we talked about some of the issues on the depth chart, the offensive line. Bernie has said it, you know, the fact that Ron Wolf, somebody as esteemed as he uh, talked about the Rams' defense being legit. Do, do you feel that the Rams have to, and I always hate feeling that way about a draft, but I don't know if there's ever been a, a situation as stark as this. Do you feel that they have to go offense early? You know, they went BPA with that second first-round pick and got a great player in Aaron Donald last year. What, what, would, what should the fans feel if they go after a running back, you know, a safety, uh, even a cornerback re, uh, real early in the draft, rounds one, rounds two, maybe even rounds three, when they've got the issues at offensive line, when they don't have a superstar wide receiver, when they don't have a quality backup quarterback, is this just one where they have to go out and get some offensive firepower? Or do you do you think that BPA is still going to be the best way to go? 
Uh, to me, you know, when you're drafting as high as 10, you're always looking for the best player available on your board at that given time. You, you know, ideally, it's uh, ideally it's a, at that point, it's you know, you see the your best player available on your board is also meeting some need. Uh, and sometimes if if you're close between two players, maybe that's the time you start fielding phone calls to see if you can't move back and, and acquire a couple more picks. Uh, but Again, when you're drafting the top top ten, uh, in, in in the Rams case, continuously drafting in the top ten, uh, to me that is a message that you know you don't have uh, as many good as, as many good players as as other teams in your division, and so in that case, I, you know I don't think it's necessarily um, the Rams have necessarily pigeonholed themselves uh, to again I'm using that word to draft uh, someone on, on the offensive side. Uh, realistically, if you're looking at this draft in, in particular, you know, if you're at 10 and, and the top two uh, receivers are gone and the top two quarterbacks are gone and maybe your top choice at offensive tackle is gone, then what are you really left with? Uh, I mean, you could force a guy to who's got some questions, maybe like an Eric Flowers, for instance. You could, you could take mm-hmm. a guy like that, but is he going to be ready day one? And – Again, I don't know if if that's the case. You're forcing a guy at, at ten, like an Eric Flowers, for instance. And I'm not, you know, saying he'd be a force. I'm just using him as an example. Uh, have you really bettered yourself as a team by passing on what is potentially a better player in, on the defensive side? And and again, I, you know, as good as the defense is, and it is very good. I I, I don't know that many teams in the league uh, have retained that many players on defense as, as much as the Rams. I mean, the Rams have not only sure. basically every starter back, but every contributor outside of Kendall Linkford. So, uh, but that said, you know, if you're looking forward, you've you got two corners that are going to be free agents. You're going to have to make a decision on Chris Long eventually, and you're going to have to make a decision on James Leonidas eventually. So that said, I, you know, I'm still under the, under the mindset you, you take, you know, the best player that's there on your board. Uh Again, and then going back to there are serviceable offensive linemen out there. Uh, I don't know that there was a receiver in this draft outside the top two that I would really take at 10 anyway. So, no, I don't – to answer your question, long story, uh, that short there, I don't I don't necessarily think they've had to take an offensive player at 10. I like it. I like I like the fact that you're a reasonable person, Tim, and that you, t- you talk through things with logic and ra- rationality. I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm surprised. No, I, let me just. I'm surprised you actually said running back there at ten because I can only imagine uh, from our previous conversations over the years what would occur in your mind, in your heart, if they if they were to go with the running back in the first round, let alone in the top ten. Two words. Two words. I see. See. Look here. Here's what I'm saying. I can, and this is why I brought it up. It, it, the way you put it makes total sense. Here's what my concern is. Like you said, the offensive tackle's gone, the quarterback's gone, the wide receiver's gone. The, right, the, the easy answers that everybody looks at for the Rams are gone at 10. And who's left on the top of their board? What I worry is that it's either going to be a defensive lineman, a safety, or a running back. And they're going to come to the podium with the 10th overall pick, the St. Louis Rams take Danny Shelton, Washington. And everybody's going to go, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. And I get it. I get it. Maybe that's the best player on their board. But at some point, 
you got to start putting together an offense. You can't have a 24th, 28th, 26th, 23rd ranked offense every year and just expect your defensive line to get you wins. And hey, you're right. Hey, you're right. You got to trust your board. You have to trust their scouting. I just wish, you know, they'd scout some guys that can contribute on offense. But let's get let's get to the draft, Tim. Maybe not specifically for the Rams, but in general, what what do you expect is going to be the point where the, the 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 draft itself starts going off the hinges. A lot of people think it's going to be Oakland at four. Um, a lot of people think it might be the Rams at ten. The fact that they've got the the capability to trade up and change the the actual order itself. I still expect we're going to have to see a, a trade in the top ten, only because we've had one every single year. I wrote it a couple of weeks ago. You've got two trades per year in the top ten. The idea that we're not going to see at least one seems a little strange to me. Where do, where do you think this draft gets a little bit silly? Well, I think for me, I think it starts to get fun at two uh, because you got a team that is potentially open for business, and obviously a lot of rumors are floating around there in Tennessee that you know Philip Rivers, Sam Bradford, uh, is it Marcus Mariota they want to draft? Are they go with Zach Mettenberger? You know, I think uh, I think for me that's the exciting point. I think you know we can almost pencil in Jameis to one to, to Tampa at this point. I, you know. Who knows what happens from here, from from the, tonight, seven days from now. But you know, for me, I always like the trade atmosphere. I think to me, uh, you know, this draft is one that you you know, kind of like a couple of years ago when the Rams took Brockers. You'll see probably more trades this year because of of the talent level. Uh, there's yeah, a lot the of questions there. Oh. Some of the tack with with the offensive tackles. Some of the receivers, you know, there's a little bit of a fall off between one and two after one and two. So I could see, uh, you know, a lot of action in the top ten. Teams coming up to get the guy they want. Uh, because at the, the the other piece of that is this isn't a great draft in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. So why not go up there and get your guy and make sure you lock up your guy and get a quality player uh, early and spend a little draft capital in day two and day three to do so, you know? So because to me, that's, that's what, what the Rams do. We, we stock up on third and fourth round picks, and we take third cornerbacks and fourth linebackers and guys named Darian. I don't know, because that's what we do, Tim. That's why. Um, and, and, you know, as I look at the order, I, I mentioned Oakland. I still think Oakland's going to make a relatively sane pick, one that people look at and say, okay, that makes sense. I think the first team that really sends the draft amok is going to be the New York Jets at six. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what they're going to do. But for some reason, I feel like with, with Rex Ryan gone, the the spirit of Rex Ryan lives on, and they're just going to do something crazy. If you looked at, I don't know if you saw it, Dan Tate Arbor mocking the draft did his draft consensus pick thing. Uh, and, and most of the teams in the top five had a decent amount of consensus. The first one that really didn't was the New York Jets at six. The top most popular pick was Marcus Mariota. 30%, he looked at 20 different mock drafts, 30% of them, that would be six mock drafts. Uh, Marcus Mariota is the option for the Jets. So if he's gone, who do they go with? And, and that answer was all over the board. So I think the New York Jets might do something fun. I think it was Todd McShay this week that had them taking Todd Gurley at six. Uh, interesting stuff. We, we talked about the offensive linemen. Who do, you, who do you really like? Obviously, a lot of people like Brandon Scherf. Lael Collins had a big following going into draft season, but seems like he's fallen off a bit. None of the real interior guys seem to be plays at 10, though. I've seen a lot of people like Lakin Tomlinson out of Duke for a guard pick maybe later on second round. 
third round, depending on how things shake out. What, what do you think? How do you feel about the offensive line class, and, and what, what are some of the names that you like going in? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't like this class very much at all, especially at tackle. I think once you get past Sheriff, uh, who to me, the more I've seen him, the less I see him as a tackle, the more I see him as a guard. I, I thought early in the process, uh, first off, Sheriff has been my guide to the Rams in, since December. Uh, he just seems like a a good fit, a, a run, just absolute run mauler and uh, big, strong physical. He's kind kid. of strong. He's 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 not a weak person. No, he's 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 got that Iowa farm boy strength and uh, you know uh, team. I like I like guys that are team captains, voted MVP. You know he's strong. Uh, he's got he's kind of a mauler. Uh, I think there's some issues with his pass pro. It's beating his hips. Uh, but I think if if I had to point to that guy, I think he's the best offensive lineman in this class. And and then after that, you know, you you go from uh, Collins to Flowers to uh, Andres Pete, uh, all of which yeah. have some type of flaw in their game. I think they're not as polished as you like for first round tackles. Uh, the guy that I keep coming back to, especially if Sheriff is off the board, is Andres Pete. Uh, I had a nice talk with Lance Zerline uh, from the NFL Network uh, this week on Twitter. And he's mm-hmm. mocked Andres Pete to uh, the Rams this week. Jim Thomas has done it. I think uh, Nick Wagoneer has done it as well. Pete is, uh, is, is, is kind of a Jeff Fisher type player in the regards that he's well polished. And he's come from an NFL background. His dad actually played for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, right. I think that as far as a tackle, he's probably gives you the best in pass pro out of all that group in the first round. Uh, he's, he, I don't want, I don't like using the word soft because these guys are D1 football players and they're kind of technical. He, 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 yeah, he, he's not a guy that he's he's big and strong, but he's not a guy that's going to get in there. and he doesn't finish blocks in the run game as much as you'd like. Uh, so it does come off a little bit. Uh, you see the word soft thrown around a little bit to describe him. But to me, you know, he's a guy that uh, you draft and could could play left tackle uh, if Greg Robinson were not to work out. Uh, I don't know these other guys are ready to play left tackle in this league. I have some questions whether some of them will ever play left tackle. Um as far as the guards, I, you know, I think this is a good guard class. I talked about this in the top. Um, you got some guys that are really polished, not not Mullers potentially. Uh, the Tomlinson kid from Duke, who is probably the one that sticks out the most to me. You know, I just think a very solid football player. Our first team all AP selection. You know, he's really physical in the run game. Got great lateral movement and pass pro. He kind of shut down Danny Shelton in Mobile. Uh, at the Senior Bowl, he, you know he's a four-year starter. He's from Duke. He's super intelligent. Was uh, shadowing brain surgeons and, and is uh, on a spring break this year, and, and is eventually going to go to med school uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, the, AJ Can is another kid. I mean, team captain, four-year starter. Again, polished. Uh, Trey Jackson, you know, guy who has 42 starts at Florida State. Yep. All guys that are all guys with great experience. Not not. Probably not guys that are going to win you, you know, take you go to the Pro Bowl every year, but guys that uh, are very durable, guys that are very experienced and polished, and, and can probably be, you know, 
I hate saying I hate, hate saying the phrase the plug and play guys uh, early on, and this, it, essentially is what you need right now, uh, especially if you're not going to take an offensive lineman in the first round. So, and then my and, and then probably my favorite guy in the whole draft, uh, I'd say the sheriff is is uh, Cam Irving. I just uh, I love his game. Uh, I'm, he's he's well coached by Coach Triggett out of Florida State. Uh, to be able to make that switch after being uh, first-team all-conference left tackle in the ACC and to make that switch midseason, I mean, essentially, uh, you know, this is a guy that didn't play any center at all. I mean, he'd do some pre-practice stuff, snapping the quarterbacks and come out of that, but never alive, just kind of at a drop of the hat, they switch him and, you know, all of a sudden he flashes in six games. And, I, you know, I, obviously I think he's going to be the first center off the board. Uh, just great athleticism. And, and this guy, I t- he came to Florida State as a defensive lineman. He converts to you know, left tackle for two years. He's a two-year starter there. Uh, like I said, first team all-conference player there. And then obviously, obviously great success at center in those six games. So he's a guy I think is probably in that weird gray area that, in the 18 to 25 range where the Rams really couldn't trade back far enough to get them and probably would have to trade up way too far in the second round to get, but uh, one of my favorite players in this draft. Well, Tim, we're coming up on the top of that. I actually loved Cam Irving last year as a tackle. I remember going into draft season, I thought he was a first-round uh, first capable tackle. I had him as a first-round grade, and he opted to go back to school. And, uh, you know, I didn't see him in a lot of first rounds. I remember there were a couple of people that had him day two, but a lot of people mostly, mostly had him, you know, falling out and two back and suggesting that he needed to go back to school. And I guess maybe he needed the center change. I don't know. I, I just wonder if maybe having that in his backpack – you know, if he gets to a team like the Rams, just like we saw with Greg Robinson where they plugged him in at left guard uh, going into the preseason, maybe Cameron Irving finds a team, Rams or not, in the NFL who's willing to entertain the possibility that that he could move back over to tackle and at least explore the fact that he's got that, again, uh, you know, in his resume if needed uh, when the injuries that always come around every season do. Tim, let me ask you this before I let you go. And everybody's Tim Shields at Shields3L on Twitter. He's the defensive line coach. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's Washington University in St. Louis, correct? Correct, yes. yes Thank I you. I'll cash the check tomorrow. The Washington Bears, not right. the Washington Huskies. Understood. No, you, you were wrong. Get out of my uh, – see, my producer's over here trying to correct me. Um, Tim, let me ask you this. Give me, give me one thing that nobody's predicting in the draft or that isn't a real popular idea that you think is absolutely going to happen, something that, that, that you feel certain or confident or maybe just a wacky idea. It's wacky season. We're seven days out. It's time for the wacky. Give me an idea that, you, that you've been mulling with that you think is going to go down that nobody's really taken a hold of. Uh, you know, that's tough. I... The wackier, the better. The wackier, the better. The... I've become a pretty big fan of the the Perryman kid out of Central Florida, and I, you know, I guess it's not obscene because Kuiper has been uh, hyping it all week, but I could see him being a top fifteen pick and being uh, a guy that's uh, taken off the board before Devontae Parker. Interesting. I always thought, you know, going back, and part of the problem is that I follow the draft, you know, year by year. 
so I, I'm already looking at, you know, because I love college football, so I'm already looking at guys for the 16-17 draft. I always thought it was going to be Stephon Diggs was going to be the guy coming out of Maryland who was going to be the late speed guy that everybody falls in love with. And I get Terman, just like Andres Pete, he's got the pedigree, um, you know, playing down south, facing decent competition, nothing great, though, at UCF. But I thought Stephon Diggs in Maryland, you know, ACC at first and then Big Ten, I thought he'd be the guy, but I think, and I said this at the time, when I, I think it was last year in my mock draft, I always do a mock draft right after the draft. And in my first 2015 mock draft, I think one of the things I said about Stephon Diggs was that his draft fortunes lean pretty heavily on what happens to Tavon Austin, right? Because he's a similar player. He's a little bit bigger than Tavon, but a similar skill yeah. set, right? And I think what, as people saw, look, it's not as easy as getting somebody who's incredibly quick and incredibly fast in in a football uniform. If that were the case, you'd go out and draft track stars. That The fact that Tavon Austin has struggled, I think, lends itself a bit of, uh, not necessarily discredit, but a bit of caution. I think it lends a bit of caution when people talk about Stephon Diggs. Do you want to go get an undersized wide receiver who you know is not going to win any physical battles, but if you give him space and give him a lane, is going to, is going to rack up crazy yards after catch. I just think it's some one of the things working against him, and it's interesting that Perriman's kind of taken that role on. I wonder, though, moving forward, what that means for the league, because Tavon Austin, to me, was one of those guys that signaled a bit of a change in the NFL. And you know I've talked about it in the past, about running backs losing their value, and I think one of the big game changers now is safety. I think safety is really, really, really gaining value, and the fact that a lot of people aren't really comfortable how to use safeties. Look at the Rams. They use the safeties interchangeably at the back, so it doesn't matter really who you've got back there. They don't have a free safety. They've got all these hybrids, and then you roll in Mark Barron for run situations. I don't know, man. It feels like that maybe wide receiver was on the cusp of, uh, of undergoing a bit of a transformation. Maybe Tavon Austin ruined it for everybody. Thanks a lot, Tavon. <laughs> Steve, oh, man, thanks a lot. Yeah, no, I, you know, thanks, Tim. I, 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 I think the safety position is going to be unique for the Rams next year. I think, you know, I, I've gotten to listen to Greg Williams talk at two clinics this year, and, uh, you know, I, I expect a, a bigger role from Mark Barron, and, and I, I don't expect a decrease uh, in Ron McLeod's role. So, I, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of three safety looks from them next year. I think, I you know, even Pete. Greg Williams is a mastermind at uh, at really schemes and finding players, what they do well, and creating situations for them to excel. And I think that's why you see Yakeem Ayers signing. Um, he's he's a type of guy that's kind of fell out of Tennessee with really not a position, and and so you know I think you know, you're going to see guys like Mark Barron, you're going to see guys like Yakeem Ayers, and. Marcus Joyner really excel next year in specialized roles, uh, which I'm pretty excited about, to be quite honest. But maybe that's another yeah. topic for another time. It's going to be fun to see the defense, you know, come together, I guess. And it comes full circle. It's all about the offense, and we got to figure out how we're going to get, you know, the ball over the 50. I still think Greg Zerline's a great weapon to have, you know, but it, <laughs> it really depends on if you have faith in the offense, Tim. If you just have faith, I want you to imagine. Imagine a world where Nick Foles hands the ball off to Trey sprinting down the sidelines of the yards. Envision and believe, if you will, in a vision of offense untethered by penalty. 
untruncated by the lack of creativity from one Brian Schottheimer. No, this is the football this, this I can't help it. We did the fly-through video, man. I'm gonna, it's a, I, don't I don't know. I saw the video. I was inspired. I figured maybe that would be a thing for Tersho Radio with have people running through the streets. Yes, we can. Ready for, for the 2015 St. Louis Rambo. <laughs> it was, it was great, great effort, right. and I'm glad you tried it again. Yeah. In, in, in I, did, I did like I'm, the... Yeah, I, I just got a tweet. I, I do appreciate this. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm hyped, and that's kind of that's kind of the effort. I don't care if people really understand, but let's get hyped for 2015 St. Louis Rams football. It's going to be fun, man, and I'm glad you're on the Churchill Times team going into it. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be a part of the group, man. It's a good group. Hell yes. Tim Shields, everybody. Shields 3L on Twitter, Washington University and St. Louis defensive line coach. Thanks for having us on, Tim. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Ah, hell of a show. Bernie Miklas, Tim Shields. You get a little bit of knowledge. You get a little bit of opinion. You get a little bit of stupid music. That wasn't me. I didn't come up with that music. Don't blame me for playing it. I didn't make the music for the video. I just used it. I don't know. I just think it's one of those things where we need it. This is the one season where optimism feels fair, right? Going into last season, where was the optimism? That Bradford would be able to turn it around and that he'd be healthy and that everybody would turn out to be, you know, a greater component and that the penalties would go away. And a lot of it didn't happen. You got the Brian Quick uh, breakout for a couple games before he got lost for the season. Kenny Britt uh, was arguably the best free agent addition that you've had. I would still point to Cortland Finnegan's first year before everything came crumbling down, but uh, still, Kenny Brett's on the team, Corliss Finnegan's not, so he has a chance to really come out in year two and validate the fact that he might be the best free agent that Jeff Fisher signed as the head coach of the St. Louis Rams, along with general manager Wes Snead. Um, it's just one of those things where you look at the offensive line, and it's not that, well, this is our starting center, and I just don't know. We don't have a starting center. We don't have a second starting guard, and we don't have a starting right tackle. Uh, you know, it's hard to have a lot of optimism when that's the issue, but at the same time, you're not you're not hoping that Sam Bradford stays healthy. You're not hoping that Brian Schottenheimer figures out something new. You're not hoping that uh, that, that a, a weapon completely redevelops themselves. I don't think we need to ask more out of Kenny Britt or what we saw in the first few games from Brian Quick. Or to, to me even what we got from Stedman Bailey or Chris Givens. I, I'd like to see a little bit more on Tavon Austin, but I think that's less on Tavon Austin and more about how he gets used. I think the big gap of what we have is the rest of an offensive line, a, a, a legit top of the roster wide receiver, and quality quarterback play. And I, I think we have a chance at getting that. I think we can get quality quarterback play between Nick Foles and a rookie backup, uh, yet to be named, and I don't really care who it is, whether it's Brett Hundley or Bryce Petty or Derek Grayson. I think, you know, there's a reason all those guys are talked about as coming in as potential one-day NFL caliber quarterbacks are just going to need to spend some time learning the game. I'm comfortable with them learning it in St. Louis as long as Jeff Fisher and the staff feels that they've got a guy that they can mold into their system. I just think we have to get one of them. You can't rely on the Kellen Clemens, Sean Hill, 
Kyle Bowler aging veteran to come in and give you, you know, one of his last seasons before retiring. We've seen that the last couple of years. That's not sufficient. You got to have somebody with some potential, somebody that's got room to grow, somebody that's got more natural talent than Austin Davis. I mean, remember how people, how excited people got about Austin Davis, and that's a guy without natural NFL level football talent. It's just because he he didn't have a chance before, and when he got it, he assumed it and he was confident. He was making some throws, and you need somebody who's able to do that, but with a natural talent, arm talent, arm strength, sees the field, and maybe a bit more, you know, capability uh, to come in and maybe marshal this offense through a couple games if Nick Foles goes down. But if not, Nick Foles is enough. Nick Foles is enough to get you to the playoffs. The Rams got to find a way to make it happen. They got to get some bodies on the offensive line. I would think they might want to get one more weapon, but, you know, perhaps that's not the angle. Perhaps it's leaning more on the running game. I should have asked him about that when he was on. Because, uh, you know, that's one thing we talked about about y- y- when Jeff Fisher came in. Is this going to be a running team? I think that moniker is a little overgeneralized, but maybe that's what the Rams need to do is lean a bit more on the run. They've got Trey Mason and Zach Stacy, Benny Cunningham, so they've got three backs that, you know, that I don't think anybody would have any issues with going into the season. But maybe they need to use them with more plumb and lean on uh, that running game to open things up for the passing game and, and not ask so much of an offensive line that as yet – isn't even, you know, built five men across. We're going to have to see. We're seven days out, man. It's going to be fun. I'm probably going to be at SB Nation headquarters for the draft, uh, which will be good. Uh, Ryan Van Bibber should be there with me, so I'll get to hang out with Ryan and, and talk some a bit of the old days in TST. I think it's pretty cool that we had Bernie Nicholas on tonight dropping that uh, interview that we had with him. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm glad to have him on. Again, he's a great voice. He's one of the people that recognized that the media landscape was changing, that people were going to read Tertial Times whether or not the Post-Dispatch wanted them to, and, and that the future is better when we're all out there contributing a voice to the larger discussion, fans, media, players, coaches, everybody in it together, because we're all part of the NFL football family. We're all part of the same scene. There's no reason to try to separate us and act like that certain people don't deserve to be there. We all deserve to be there. We're all fans. We're, we're, all, we're all paying attention. The NFL schedule came out, and we paid attention to that. That's just crazy. But it's what we do. It's what we do at Tertial Times. So, again, thanks to Bernie Miklas. That's Bernie Miklas, at Miklas, M-I-K-L-A-S-Z. You guys can find him at STL today, St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Tim Shields was on that's at Shields3L. Uh, we're going to have more from Tim going into the season. Obviously, he was part of a new crop of writers, Tim, Nathan Kearns, Will Horton, who wrote a piece earlier today, Tycho is his username on TST, and Brett Lancaster. I'm checking big things out of Brent. we got some fun stuff coming down the pipe with Lady. Uh, so thanks to Tim and Bernie for coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening, being a part of the TST family. we got some good stuff coming down the pipe between the draft and the season, so we're not shutting down just you know as soon as the draft's over. We'll be around – 365 24-7. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. We don't do Instagram. Maybe I need to do Snapchat. Maybe I'll get Snapchat going. That would be fun. And, of course, you can always follow us on TertialTimes.com. Thanks for listening. You guys know the deal. Go Rams.
bad Jackie and I'm starting this off. The Rams get down so nobody scoffs. And don't you worry, cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll be back to Jackson. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty, but we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the L.A. Rams. Hollywood Hampton, Dodge City stuff. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Dita. Nobody dresses Twitter. But under this cool is a quarterback retreater. I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming until I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.